Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast from ABF, The Soldiers' Charity. I'm Lorraine Kelly. The Soldiers' Charity is 75 years old this year and this series of podcasts is our way of sharing a few of the stories of some of the people it helps. Today, I'll be introducing you to two people whose lives were changed forever by war and conflict and finding out how they've adapted to their new circumstances. Joseph Connor joined the army in 1942. He was honoured by the French government for his part in liberating France during the Second World War. He continues to live independently at his home in Glasgow at the age of 95. I enjoyed a lot of my time in the army, but I think I didn't even miss the army that much. In fact, I was angry at the way they never even got in touch with me. Gary Jameson was in his 14th year of service and on his second tour of Afghanistan when he was catastrophically injured by an improvised explosive device. The blast killed his patrol commander and Gary lost both legs above the knee and his left arm above the elbow. Somebody says if you could go back, would you go back and change it? If I don't stun in that ID, the guy that took over from me, he got killed. Was that supposed to be my choice? So if I went back and says, right, I never stood in that, who's to say the next day I was going to get shot? Or something like that. So you know what? That's what I need to appreciate. I'm alive. I'm only missing limbs. I know it's only limbs, but I'm functional as a human being. There's obviously a huge age difference between Joseph and Gary, and they were fighting very different wars. But as you hear in this conversation with Dave Roberts, Joseph and Gary also have a lot in common. The way I was wounded, I thought I was going to go back. I felt OK, although the bullet inside me. But I didn't realise it was the nerve that was injured. I just saw the arms injured and they gave me penicillin at the time and I felt fine. So it was when the doctor in hospital says, oh, they'll take the bullet out and they'll fix your arm over in England. And I realised that I was getting sent back to England. The chest expert for England came and looked at me, never said a word where he went, and then he was the one who to take the bullet out. Finally, the night before I was to get the big operation, an auxiliary nurse comes to give you an enema, which is normal. And I said, are you poking your finger in my back? He says, no. I said, well, it feels as if you are, you know. He said, oh, go and get the young doctor. I was lying on my stomach and he brought his face right round and he said, you're a lucky man. He said, the bullet's on its way out and I'll take it out tomorrow with a local. I think it saved my life that time, you know. You're, when you um, went to the first aid post and you then got evacuated back to Britain, uh-huh. explain your, your journey. That's when they put me on the plane and I said, when they landed, as I said, then they landed, they crashed because they hit the ground and they bounced and hit the ground a bit. And every guy in there, some guys were bandaged from head to foot, you know, probably tank people, you know, get maybe burnt. And other guys had wounds all over the place. And of course, this thing hitting the ground, all oh, everybody was screaming and shouting and cursing. I was dropped as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, we waiting for the Chinook helicopter to come in and take me back from the desert. It landed and I was on the stretch and I remember running towards it. I felt the heat coming off the engines, so I thought, yeah, we're here the next minute. Somebody, part of my trouser leg was still dangling down. Somebody stood in it, <laughs> flipped the, the stretcher, so I ended up eating the sand. I just remember them picking me up like that and throwing me on. 
skidding along the back it and the nurse coming around and saying right here comes the good stuff <laughs> and that was me but I was uh, very lucky because I didn't realise until I woke up in my coma that my flight from Bastion back to the UK I was five minutes away getting detoured mm. because that volcano had erupted in Iceland and shut down all the airports so I was the last flight to land in the UK mm. and I don't know if I got special permission but we were the last flight before the UK and the airports got cancelled Luck played a part in quite a few things I know we made that because three times I know she's been dead you know, first attack we ever made was at Comont, and my pal, he combined his carrier, so he hooked me up and pulled me down, carried on down, and he got a message, and he said, oh, I've got a map reference here, I've got to go. So he said, I'll go in the other, so he jumped in the other light, and that guy was dead within 10 minutes. So that was another time I could have been dead. I know a guy that was in the hospital, same time as me, and he was the eighth man in a patrol who walked in a straight line. So seven people in front of him stepped out of it, and he was the only one that stepped on it. Just goes to show you, this your time's up, luck. your time's up, yeah. that's luck it. Luck does play a, lot, a big part in it, doesn't it, James, you know? When you, when you were out of the army, how did you, how did you look back on um, being a soldier uh, when you were first back yeah. in civilian life, the war had been won? I think it was easy for me because I didn't feel... I was dressed as a soldier. I enjoyed a lot of my time in the army. But I think I didn't even miss the army that much. In fact, I was angry at the way they never even got in touch with me. And I even haven't even applied for my medals until about maybe four years ago. And I have so many gaps with things that we've done that I can't remember. I know we must have done this, but right. how did I get there? And when, how did we do this? I joined the army because that's where I wanted to be. Yeah. You had a war to fight, you had to go and fight the country. So you probably never had that kind of like, I don't know when they yeah. say love, but connection you wanted to do, but it had to be done at the time, then get back to your normal life. Or when I, I think I was 12, I knew from then I was going to join the army. I was going to do the full time in the army, and obviously this put a span on the books. So I was kind of thrown. I didn't know what to do when I came out. I was, because I'd come through it right, I was doing my 22 year, I was getting out, and I was going to go and work up, or Babcock actually, driving <laughs> the oil tankers. Uh, but that's what my plan was. And then 2010, I don't know, at the windy, mm. and see try to think for the next two years what I was going to do, because mm. I never planned that far ahead, which mm. I found it was quite daunting. That's how I thought when you came out of the army and you've got thousands and thousands of other folk coming back for the army trying to find work, trying to find accommodation. It couldn't have been easy. So, so Gary, talk about when you, when you came out. I had rehab. So technically I got injured in 2010. My army soldier days finished then, but I was still under army for my rehab. So I'd go down to Headley Court, I'd do four weeks rehabilitation, then I'd be up the road for three, four weeks. Kind of rotated that for the, the next two years. So I was kind of easing myself out from the army. I was going back to Headley Court, which is still kind of military, but then I was coming home for three weeks. So it wasn't just military, stop, civvies. That was three years down the line, and even till the day when I got final discharged, when I knew that I was out the army, and that was still quite a hard day to take, because I was like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> Obviously, having no legs and only one arm, you think to yourself, who's going to employ me? What can I do? So you start looking into other things, and eventually, my local that I grew up drinking in, it came up, so I thought, no, what, good time. So me and the Misties and the family took it over. We ran it for two years. It was good, but there was just, there was no profit in it, it was hard work for nothing, and it just so happened that this new opening up at Erskine came up just as that finished. So I've been quite lucky for my time leaving the army, I've had a job straight away in my own pub, then when I finished about the pub, I've got the, the work in Erskine. So I've never really had that moment in time where I have to sit and think, what do I want to go next? 
didn't do enough really for for soldiers coming out of that. I think there should be more hands on. Oh, there definitely is because when I got injured 2010, now, say 2010 was a kind of like big year, there was getting courses because they knew that the soldiers weren't going back to being soldiers that soon and injured now mm. they're going out, so they had to make this up. So there were courses and tick boxes. So I can imagine pre 2010, there were soldiers sitting about for like months and months on end, no knowing what's happening mm -hmm. before they changed it all. No, but everything's when you get injured, you get a kind of tick list yeah. and you can't go anywhere else till it's been ticked after. You've got accommodation, you've got looked after, you've got all that now. So you're not just sitting in the house for two years because that's what I think they found out there was a lot of soldiers left or abandoned. And it doesn't happen like that now, they've been on top of it. Now, I've been injured six years with the army and I honestly have, I can't even think of anything bad to say in my time. But I've heard the bad things happening now again, yeah, but no. my, my experience with it's been absolutely perfect. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you do enough, really. For, you know, there, there seems to be that you can't be a soldier, you can't do the job they want you to do, so they're no interested, you know, they're no... They're not going to spend a lot of time with you because you can't do your, you know, the soldier that they're paying you for, you know. And I mean, it must affect people's heads. I know that the army is uh, the kind of umbrella thing, but this is where places like, say, like Headley Court, all the soldiers go there now and they get to uh, tell what they need to do. Then you've got combat stress, you've got that first. So people can say, right, oh, I'm struggling with this. And they've got, well, this is the answer here. If you go down this department, or I'm struggling with, I don't know, say debts or whatever, they go, well, go and speak to these people now. Now, there's avenues everywhere for you leaving the date. When you leave the army now, there's avenues to go. But, you know, soldiers, will a soldier go and ask for help when he needs help? That's the kind of problem they've got. But there's definitely things out there now set in place that it's benefiting a lot of kind of soldiers that I reckon would have been here just now if these things weren't in place a few years back. If the 94-year-old Joseph could have a chat with the 18-year-old Joseph. What do you think you would say to your young self? I know I'm dis disabled, but I don't feel any... Up here, I don't feel any difference when I was younger. But the age is getting me... Now. Getting older, the more things happening to me, you know, the, this, this, the hearing, you know. And the, I mean, even in the kitchen, try to make a cup of tea, and oh, I shouldn't sit down. Because you, you live alone still. Uh, you live by yourself yeah. um, uh, in your own home. Yeah. And I know that Soldiers Charity has helped you yeah. continue to live in your own home. Explain what the Soldiers Charity did to uh, to help you out. What happened to me was, with the age coming in and the disability getting like that, I wasn't going out as much. And my vehicle was away on the other side of the street. So if it was bad weather and the stick and the hitting the balance, you felt that you weren't the person you were. So so you were getting, I'm not going out there, I'll not go. So when you were coming more into yourself rather than sort of being the outgoing person that you, you wanted to be or, or should have been, you know. Somebody mentioned, that, why don't you try the lottery? See if they'll give you money for getting a driveway and bring your vehicle over. So I tried the lottery, nothing. Tried the council, nothing. And two days later, they said, yes, the soldier's charity is going to help you with your driveway and you'll I'll pay a small proportion of it, you know. My vehicle's right at my door now. I can open my door and just walk into it. I've got my buggy there as well. And it's changed everything. It's made me feel that I'm part of the community again. That's the wee things that throw you when you're stuck in that kind of bit. And then I know what you mean, but you're like, well, somebody else will do it for me. It saves me all that hassle. Mm -hmm. Then you just end up retreating back into the house mm -hmm. and not actually doing anything. Where when the charity stepped in, it's gave you that freedom back, basically, hasn't it? Gary, how, how do you feel about your time in the army when you look back on it? Um, and would you tell the young Gary 
to join or not join? Looking back on it, for the year I was kind of injured, I'd, so I spent a year in my bed sort of thing, and you had nothing else to do but think back to things. I loved every minute of it. Even I was laughing to myself that I was in Brecon, it was four o'clock in the morning, it was minus 30, I'm walking up a river, people blowing things up, and my feet were actually that sore. Then looking down, there's laughing, and got any feet in the <laughs> So all that pain, was it worth it? And I'm like, ah, it was. Everything was worth it, because 10 minutes after I got out of the water and put dry socks on, that, you forget about it. So all the bad things at that moment in time, they go away, and it's only the good things that you remember in the army. So if I could go back and speak to myself, what I would say was, I'd say to myself, Stay in on the Friday night in December. <laughs> don't go out, because that affects your career. Somebody says, if you could go back, would you go back and change it? If I don't stun in that ID, the guy that took over from me, he got killed. Was that supposed to be my choice? Mm -hmm. So if I went back and says, right, I never stood in that, who's to say the next day I was going to get shot? Or something like that. So you know what? That's what I need to appreciate. I'm alive. I'm only missing limbs. I know it's only limbs, but I'm functional as a human being. That's the main thing. So I can see life going on. I don't see any bad about it. Don't get me wrong. I try to explain to my daughter now and again why I'm, why I'm like this. But she's only 10, but she'll realise later on in time that it was for a reason. The first time that I got in contact with Soldiers Charity was through building a ramp from my back door. As I was injured and I couldn't get home in a wheelchair as my garden wasn't converted, uh, the Soldiers Charity chipped in with my regimental charity and they got me a ramp so I could get in and out of the house. Later on, because it was coming up to Christmas and New Year. Uh, I was supposed to go back down to Headley Court because I had nowhere to, nowhere to stay because I couldn't get upstairs access. But the Soldiers Charity then says, well, we can put you up in a hotel, which gave us a family room, which gave us family time for Christmas and New Year. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, it's, I know it's dramatic for me, going through it, I'll get blown up in April. This was my family, kids at five and six, and there was only a baby at one, so it was kind of dramatic the mm -hmm. whole year all the way up to that. So that was our first time there. It was just us family time and thanks to the charity they gave us that later on in that when I got back to like you're saying your independence it was I could drive so I went and done my assessments got what equipment I needed to drive and the soldiers charity they organised it they booked into the conversion place so basically I gave them my car and I got my car back we all converted it thanks to the charity which gave them independence just to be able to go to the shop myself you know what it's like that's it's it, like yeah. that's me back and then Later on in uh, the next few years, I was having a lot of problems with my my stumps, a lot of infections, because I was, I was lucky to keep what I did. I should have lost a lot of it more. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of damage in there. So what was happening was I kept making continuous infections, continuous infections. So I was doing three weeks gym work for another two weeks in my bed. So I was kind of, and to bottom prosthetics, you need to be at a kind of high level. So the charity says, well, when you're off sick, why don't we put uh, gym equipment in? So I got two pieces of gym equipment that I could use that kept me fit when I was off mm -hmm. it obviously injured and then when I went back to Headley Court I wasn't catching up in myself I was starting again and I was progressing and that's where it basically got me to where I am just now You must be very brave and strong because I mean what you come through you know it's, 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 you really need to be very very strong I wouldn't say strong I say I'm grateful that I never died my mate standing next to me he died yeah. and uh, that that kind of got to me a bit and uh, so I thought well what I want to live life is yeah. enjoy every moment of it instead of feeling bad about it. When you eventually get, get get home to be with the family, the house is kitted out, the car is working, how, how did you feel the future looked for you? Oh, back there it felt, it's got to sound mad, it felt good because I thought, right, I've got a plan, I've got the family, everything seemed to be in place that I could see was going to be a problem. And then it was like the little things that you don't plan. Like 
for instance, got to a favourite restaurant, it's two stairs to get into the favourite restaurant. I mean, if we rocked up there, you're like, see, it's things like that that we, it got us. But that was because of the wheelchair. The wheelchair was a big factor in everything because it was like, can we get the wheelchair here? I was in an electric wheelchair, so you know the weight of the batteries on that. And my wife's no the biggest, so she was struggling to take it in and out. So you're like, I don't want to rely on her all the time. A lot of things in the first couple of, well, say the first year to year and a half, had to be planned, had to be planned well. Well, now, when I've got my prosthetics on, we don't look at anything. Just go, that's it. It's the exact same as where I was previous to being injured. Back then, I didn't think I'd ever be this independent. I thought things had been good, but never to the fact where I'm actually driving into main work, to work in a factory, to making signs, which is a labour job, to come back home. I never thought nine years ago that that would be happening. The future's bright, if they say. So, I mean, everything's looking forward to it. I've got to have another challenge, so I don't know where I want to go. If I start, stay down the veteran side, or I might be going into, back to school. So everything's just up in there just now, just enjoying myself. Our listeners, what would you tell them about life as a veteran? A bit difficult because your mind doesn't focus on things like that. You're, the things that happen to you, happen to you. You're living with them, but there's also no one to show them outwardly that you're injured. You're, you're trying to be the person you were. And I think I'd, and myself, I'd rather forget it, forget everything that happened, if I could. But I can't because, I mean, I've been asked question about it and I've got to, my mind's got to go back to when it happened. And, I mean, it's real, it's real. You, I can there, I'm there, I know exactly what happened. And, I don't know, it's, 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 it's funny. It's not hard to explain, I think, really. So, Gary, if you were going to look at how society views veterans today, how would you reflect on what you experienced coming out of the uh, army when you did? 50-50. I've had some good experiences and I've had some bad experiences. Obviously, when World War One and World War Two, that was a national rage. They're fighting for what they believe in. My conflicts have been Northern Ireland, it's been Iraq, it's been Afghanistan, where it's not 100% people agreeing with it and stuff like that. So you get your folk that will come down. Now, when I first got injured, I didn't wear clothes. I like people to see that I was injured, I didn't cover myself up, so I'd wear my prosthetic legs without shorts and stuff like that. And I've seen people crossing the street when they see me coming. And I know that they've done that because they didn't want to make conversation with me but when I went to America people would walk across the street to shake your hand and thank you for your service and stuff like that so you do it's different than where you are now America open my eyes caught me three or four times when I've been in America how they treat people over there mm. and here you get your good people you've got your veterans people that love you and they shake your hand but you also get that small minority that once you find out you're a soldier they don't even want to speak to you and it's terrible and I, I love being a soldier and I love telling yeah. people I'm a veteran there's a difference yeah and I was lucky and lucky because when I came out the army, I was I didn't need to find work, I didn't need to go and do this, I didn't need that. So I, I got a choice to do what I want to do. And then a lot of charity work and I found that the veterans seem to get left a bit to the side. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Anything I can do to help veterans, I've been jumping on it. But I know for speaking to other vet there's veterans out there that are sitting in their house that've never done nothing, just don't want to interact, don't want to go out and it's and it's sad to know. You know if people can see me, I don't know. Gone, gone to my work and think, oh, no, what if you can do it? Maybe I can go and do something, even if it's just go to the, the shop, just to get somebody back in that, because there's too many people out there that's been through the wars yeah. and don't like to speak to people. It says you, you blanked it all out. A lot yeah. of people can't blank that yeah. out and they yeah. sit and look you have their lives all the time. Yeah. So it's one of the ones you can need to be a veteran, proud to be a veteran, or you don't like to be a veteran, you keep it to yourself, yeah. but it's your choice at yeah. the end of the day. I felt angry at the army because I felt that uh, they let me down 
And I think for them, they just, just, just dismissed them. And I think I had a reason and I had a right to do that because the way they had treated me and ignored me, you know. What's your future's looking like? So what, what, what's, what, what, what do you see ahead for yourself, Joseph, for the next, next year or two? When, I, when, they, when he started to go, right, I was 84, right, and I went up to the hospital and they said, oh, yes, your knee's very swollen. But I said, we'll get you x-rayed. So they went for the x-ray and the guy said, you'll need a new kneecap. I said, well, I'm 84. I said, I'm, I really think, I said, I'm, I'm, I've not got a lot to go. I said, what's the point of me getting in and getting my knees done when maybe a year or so I'll be off, you know? So I didn't get it done. But it was getting worse and worse and worse. If I couldn't do it at 84, I'm not going to do it at 90. I still haven't had them done yet. And I could have got them done, you know. Oh, Ten years, you could have been cutting about <laughs> the knees. Well, it was the same as me. So I've got trials. I've got and the implant actually goes into my bone. So I've got two bits of metal that come out the end of my stumps and my prosthetics screw onto them. I was bladly damaged up here. My stumps are in the normal shapes. So to get a vacuum to stay on that, it was possible. So my sockets kept falling off. So I wasn't even getting to walk. And this was a trial. And it was one of the decisions... I really want to go and get this done because I don't know if it's got to work and, and I thought, well, if I don't do it now, yeah. I'll regret it. And I'm so glad I did because I've never been back in the wheelchair since I had this operation done. And before that, I was never out of the wheelchair. Yeah, so it's one of the things I'm, I'm so glad I talked myself into doing it. But even the day what? after, I was, I was still talking to myself in the mirror going, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> but it's just as it says, I had, I'm so glad I've done it because see now, like, some of the veterans that are injured with me, they're... they're so try to get on this list because the issues they're having with their sockets and stuff like that, I'm just glad that I never gave up at the beginning. Yeah. I kept pushing to get something that worked for me. Gary, the future for you. That's the next stage. Uh, the next stage I've still got, I think it's about just under a year left on my contract at Erskine. Uh, the plan is to find something after that, but right now I was only doing the Erskine thing to challenge myself to see how I could react in a, a work environment as a labour environment so this was kind of more of a can I do it sort of thing do I want to do it but we've got help from different departments so like I says I might actually want to go back to school learn something new or go down the veteran site working for charities because I've enjoyed doing that over the last 10 years it's always been the constant thing everything I've done different I've always had that I wouldn't say fallback but it's been always there in my life so I don't know if that can maybe turn into something but right now I'm just enjoying working and you know what I mean I'm not going to plan too far down the line in case it goes wrong <laughs> Gary Jameson and Joseph Connor there we're grateful to both Gary and Joseph for taking part thanks also to Joseph's daughter Linda for inviting us to her home I hope you'll listen to each of the podcasts in this series. Every single episode has a conversation with people who've really earned the right to have their stories told. If you'd like to know more about ABF, the Soldiers' Charity, in this, its 75th year, then just visit soldierscharity.org where you'll find everything you need. I'm Lorraine Kelly. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.